Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm Steve Augustino, a partner in Kelly Dry's Communications Practice Group. I'm joined today by another partner in the group, Josh Guyon, and one of our associates, Avani Bell. And today we're going to talk about a topic that's a little bit farther afield from what we normally talk about in communications. We're not going to talk about carriers and the vagaries of FCC regulations as it applies to those. We're going to talk about video games. And we're going to talk specifically about a waiver that applies to video game software that is about to expire. And we think it has some interesting implications for those who are in the game development industry. So to start us off, we're going to start at the beginning here. These rules concern a 2010 law called the CVAA. And Avani, I'm going to turn to you. Why don't you tell us what the CVAA is and sort of generally what it means? Sure. Um, the CVAA stands for the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. It was a law that was passed with the intention of providing people with disabilities greater access to more modern communications, technologies, and devices. So the CVA adopted a number of obligations for various products and services, and a component of that was the obligation for what are called advanced communication services, or ACS, providers to provide services or equipment to make them accessible to and usable by individuals with disabilities unless doing so is not achievable. And I'll note that the achievability analysis is a whole detailed component on its own, and we won't get into that discussion today, but that is a component of the law that is at play here. It basically gets into the costs involved and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's far too broad for us to do on this. Okay, so that's the CVAA. Now, Josh, we have a waiver that applies to video game software, and why don't you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, just to kind of give the background, you mentioned at the beginning that we're going to go beyond you know traditional FCC regulation, and I think the CVA gets into areas of new technologies that people don't realize that they're FCC regulated. And I think with video game software, is a similar kind of thing, and they actually had a waiver in place for a number of years, and now they're going to have to start coming into compliance, so they may be the ones that are even more new to this than other technologies. So video game software has been exempt under a waiver since 2012. At the end of last year, the ESA, and we'll talk more about that, filed another waiver and received another year. They agreed with the FCC at the time that it would be the last waiver. And it goes through the end of this year. So starting in January 1st, 2019, any new video game software that's capable of using ACS has to include accessibility solutions to make sure that people with disabilities can use the games and the ACS functionality within them. So today we're going to kind of give a brief primer and talk about some of the issues involved, some of the questions that you should be asking yourself as a game developer with regard to compliance. Right. And one point of that, and we'll get into this a little bit, is we're not talking necessarily about the gameplay itself. We're talking about the ACS capabilities. Within we'll the game. we'll go into that. Right. At this point, what we're going to do is we're going to dive in a little bit deeper to the waiver as it applies to video game software providers or game developers. Okay, so Josh, can you give us a little bit more detail about what that really covers? Sure. So the Entertainment Software Association, or ESA, sought a product 
class waiver for video game software originally as well as other parts of video game experience, but in particular we're talking about video game software that the waiver still applies to. And the definition of that is all playable games on any hardware or online platform, including game applications that are built into operating system software. Um, and so, so we're talking about Xbox, Nintendo right. Switch. But also mobile phones, right? So smartphones and games that are played on that will also be covered by this definition or have been covered under the waiver. As I mentioned, other classes of video game products like consoles and distribution platforms had been subject to a, a previous waiver back in 2012, but that ran out in 2015. And the waiver has only continued to apply to video game software since then. Once the waiver expires, then any new games after January 1st, 2019 that are released will have to be compliant with the FCC's ACS accessibility requirements, and that includes substantial upgrades. So even if it was a game that's been out for a number of years, if there's a substantial upgrade to the game, then it would have to become compliant with the ACS accessibility right. requirements. Okay. So I'm a game developer right now. I'm working on a on a, a program, I'm working on a game that I'm going to release. Right. If I release it in July, it doesn't have to comply with it. For the life of the product. That's right. Right. Okay. But I release it January 10th of next year, it has to comply. Correct. Okay. And so, and to that point, as you're designing games now that are likely to be released after January 1st, you need to be thinking about this stuff. Right. Right. Yeah, actually, I mean, many of them are going to be in that design window right now. So, again, as we said, we've referenced ACS, right. and we've said that that's what applies to it. So, Avani, I'm going to turn back to you now and help us to understand what is ACS, what is that component of games in particular? Sure. ACS, is interesting, is actually a term that comes directly from the CVA. So, communications technologies is something the FCC deals with generally, but the concept of ACS, or Advanced Communication Services, is something that is specific to the CVA. And the CVA defines a number of types of services that fall under this category. One example is what's called interconnected VoIP, or this deals with service voice calling services that connect to the traditional phone network. So something that would allow you to call your pizza place or call your local bank, anything that is allowing you to call directly into the phone network. The other option is non-interconnected VoIP. This deals with voice communications that are not dealing with the public phone network. So this is things like in-game calling, any kind of voice-to-voice communication that doesn't involve the traditional phone network. Which is right. much more likely in these kind of gaming scenarios, right? Right. This right. Is be- right. That's when I'm getting my buddies together and we're all playing Mario Kart at the same time right. when we're communicating with each other. That's the ACS component. Right. Yeah. And that would be non-interconnected. So whether you're dialing a phone number or not, you still potentially fall under the rules. Another type of ACS is electronic messaging. This covers things like text messaging, instant messaging, chat, and email. So we know that today chat components and features are available in a ton of different technologies and services. And you see that in a lot of video game products today where people have the capability to do text chat with other players. And so that's going to be something that's likely to be implicated by these rules. And that's as part of the game, right? You're text chatting as you're playing. But that could also be something that's enabled by the game console or the game software that it's outside of the game, right? That could be setting up your time to meet and play the game or something like that. So anything that's this kind of messaging or chatting through the software of the game, even if it's not during the game. Right, yes. And the last type of service that... It's called ACS is Interoperable Video Conferencing Service. So this 
is the capability that allows video calling services. So where you're sort of having a video, similar kind of video chat or communication with another person, but you're doing it through the video feature. I'll note that video conferencing is a terminology that is still not clearly defined by the FCC at this point, but it's covered. And so... Well, it's the, the interoperable extent, part, the right, right that the interoperable, right. So, but... To the extent there is a video calling or communication component, then a provider should be thinking about this because it could potentially be implicated. So Right. And that's probably more down the road. I mean, I'm not aware of many games that have the video conferencing right now. The, right. The chat, the you know, in-game audio, those are the most common features mm-hmm. at this point. But So that's interesting. So voila, surprise, you're a game developer. You're actually regulated by the FCC. You didn't <laughs> even think so. So let's then dig into that, the scope of the waiver a little bit. So explain to me, we talked a little about the components that are really there, but let's walk through what that means then. That ACS has to be accessible. So explain that some. Right. So I just named some types of features that are considered ACS. And I think for many video game software providers and others in other industries, they're probably really surprised to know that these rules potentially would implicate them because they're not traditional communication services. But the CVA was written in a way that it has a broad scope and a number of different products and services can fall under it as long as there is a communications component or feature that meets one of these one of these requirements. So that's how you end up with video game software products potentially falling under the CVA. If they have a ACS component or feature, then that component and feature needs to be compliant. Right. So I want to be clear that right. the entire software itself doesn't get implicated, but any component or feature that enables advanced communication services. So just the communications component is what's implicated by these rules. But that can also mean features and components that allow for access to the communication. So not just the communications component itself, but how a user may access that communication. Menus and things like that. Right, menus and things like that. So, But that's the component that allows these types of products and services to fall under this rule. And that's certainly the trend in gaming now, right? We're more interconnected, right? The... The, right. It's more of, I guess, a fiction now these days of the solitary gamer who sits in the bottom right. of his or her basement. You know, they're connected to people across the world communicating now. Right. right. Yeah. So gaming products, like every other product out there now, is just become everything's becoming more connected, and video games are no different. These products are connecting to the internet and at the same time incorporating features that allow players to communicate with each other, not only just to have a side conversation about whatever, you know, including the game, but also having it potentially be a component of the game itself, right? So you can have, there are examples of newer games, for example, the upcoming game called A Way Out, where it's being incorporated as a core component of the gameplay, where it's two players who need to communicate with each other in order to be able to play this game. So you have features where you have they have a chat functionality, like something like Destiny 2 and Pro Evolution Soccer, where there is a chat component, but it's not necessarily a part of the core gameplay. But then there are other games where these features are being incorporated directly into the gameplay, so you can't get the full functionality of the game without being able to access those kind of features. Okay, and this may be obvious to some, but explain to me a little bit about what the public policy is for why ACS components need to be accessible. Sure. The FCC in granting the waiver one last time and in the previous grants of the waiver sort of acknowledged that many of the video games that have these features, they aren't necessarily designed for that to be the primary functionality. However, 
the primary functionality of these games is gameplay, not necessarily access to the ACS feature. At the same time, in balancing that interest, the FCC recognizes, and I would say even ESA acknowledged as much in seeking the waiver, that games are becoming more connected. These features are becoming a more integrated part of games in general. And there is a public interest desire to ensure that consumers with disabilities have equal access to these features and capabilities in the same way other consumers do. So if advanced communication service features are now becoming a core part of the games, then they want to make sure that consumers with disabilities can play those games as well. Yeah, I think there's kind of two main points there, which is, number one, one of the goals of the CVA is to make sure that people with disabilities have access to everything that everyone else does, right, in general, so that if I can play a video game, then somebody with a different disability or whatever should be able to play a video game. That's number one. But then also number two, I think that as in getting rid of the waiver and moving on to being compliant, the FCC is looking and saying, well, yeah, maybe you say this is just video games or something like that, but these are important social interactions now, and there's important educational components that can go with these games as well. And we need to make sure that the disabilities community is not losing out on those really societal benefits that come from gaming. So then let's shift and try to say, all right, I'm a game developer, Josh, right? I have a game. I get it now. I have to comply with these. And I want to because my addressable bark at my games are are usable by more if I add more of these features in. So give me some ideas on like, how do I go about doing that? Sure. So you start with looking at each ACS feature that maybe is part of your game, right? So you might have voice chat component, you might have messaging chat component, but look at each piece of ACS that you have in your game. Maybe there's only one, maybe there's a couple. And then try to look at some of the major disabilities that are certainly well represented in Washington. I mean, the CVAA refers to the Americans with Disabilities Act and is very broadly applicable to disabilities, but there are some main ones to focus on. So visual disabilities, hearing disabilities, mobility or dexterity disabilities, cognitive challenges. You want to look at those as kind of the major ones to focus on. And then basically, you want to consider the features and how you can address each of the ACS components and each of those disabilities in a way that doesn't hinder the gameplay functionality so that people with disabilities can play the same game that people without disabilities do. So in addition to things, particular technologies that are already out there and are available, in addition to things like, I think, voice control that Avani had mentioned, there's some specific examples that we can talk about. For example, Xbox One includes the capabilities for developers to incorporate real-time text transcription of audio chat and text-to-speech that can be built into the games as well for people with certain disabilities. Right. So that's a feature of the console, which is right. already have its waiver expire, right? So those are right. built in, and what you're saying is that incorporating those types of things into your game can help you comply with your ACS obligations. Yeah, that's right. In addition, there's some developers that have designed messaging apps specifically for games, for example, Discord or Clan HQ, and those will sync up with the chat functionality that's built in a mobile game to take advantage of the accessibility options that are already available in mobile phone operating systems through Android and through iOS. Those are available already, and you should make sure to look at the accessibility options that are made available by the mobile platform and kind of build to those to the extent that you can. There's some other options as well out there 
there that have already been used. Subtitle options for conversations that are going on in the chat between characters, things like that. Multiple colorblind modes to be able to change the coloring for various disabilities, uh, visual disabilities. Key remapping, I think, is an important one where you can reconfigure the console or, or, or reconfigure the controller. So you can reconfigure the controller so that you can change the keys. If you have a dexterity issue, you may want to move a functionality from one key to another key or right. something like that. It's so like if you have to do it left-handed, you could right. that button's on the left side, you could switch it to the right. Absolutely. Or buttons that you use a lot, you may want to have in a certain place that kind of thing during the game, as well as mouse controller or mouse sensitivity. You can provide visual cues for every audible one. So if somebody's going to make a noise when they get shot or something like that as part of a game, there could also be a visual cue that that has happened. And then you can also use features like auto-aim or smart steering and auto-accelerate, which are part of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And that allows you to automate certain functions of the game so that you don't have to play all aspects of the game all at once. And that could be used for people with cognitive disabilities or other disabilities so that you can kind of automate some of the functionality so that the game is playable for you. Thanks, Josh. I, I get that. So <laughs> that's helpful. So basically, customization can be your friend is kind right. of part of the message there. Yeah. Right. And you're going to do that as part of design anyway, just figure out, okay, how am I going to make my game customizable, right? Because people without disabilities want to have ways to customize the games and make them better. And that's a really good opportunity to think about accessibility. So let's try to get practical, right? We can't give legal advice. That's not the scope of this podcast. But, you know, we can help guide people ways in which we might do it. So let's try to bring out a couple of suggestions and maybe best practices for how to develop your game so that it is compliant. And Avani, why don't you sort of start us off here? Sure. I think one of the key things for people to realize is there's no definitive checklist for video game software or any other product to be compliant with the CVA. The main thing to do is to just make efforts to take steps to show a good faith effort towards making your product inclusive and accessible in the design phase. A way of doing that is also keeping a record of any discussions, any design meetings, any kind of things that show that you're making an effort to try to figure out how to meet these requirements and how to make the product more accessible to a broader community of users. Things right. like, you know, focus groups with people with disabilities or discussions that you might have with some of their representatives, whether it's in D.C. or otherwise. Right. Yeah. Right. This, this sounds like my third grade math teacher, right? <laughs> right. Show, show your work. Show your work. Right. right. Yes. And as part of that, another thing to note is the record keeping comes along with a registration requirement. So you actually, once you recognize you have ACS and you're going to be releasing a game that has ACS, you can wait until that happens, but you're going to need to actually register with the FCC, provide some contact information, and then you make an annual certification that you're keeping these adequate records. So that goes hand in hand with the record keeping. Right. And let me jump in, you know, sort of one of the, the suggestions on this is that the earlier in the process you address these, often the easier it is to incorporate it. You know, you find it, this is true on almost everything, right? When you get to the end, retrofitting is often more expensive than if you had addressed this early on. So having an inclusive design principle is an important part of this. Looking at this, setting this up at the beginning, before you've even really sketched out your game, before you've started any significant amount of code, look at the accessibility features and think about how you're going to reach those. Yeah, and I think that as part of that inclusive design thinking is also talking with counsel that knows about this because, as Avani mentioned, there is no definitive checklist, right? There's nothing you can just go tick off and say, okay, I'm done. 
So you're going to need to talk with counsel and understand how is this going to be looked at by the FCC. And, and part of the really important reason for that is that ultimately the FCC, the way that they enforce this is through an actual complaint proceeding, an enforcement proceeding. There's not a process where you're just going to get a nice reminder from the FCC or a call or something like that if you're operating illegally or something like that. Sometimes you know, you'll have a field enforcement officer come out and say, oh, hey, you can't operate on that channel. This is a situation where it comes from consumer complaints or advocacy group complaints in D.C. And that triggers an informal enforcement process. And so you're going to have to defend your decisions about accessibility, achievability, all of that as part of an enforcement. So your counsel is going to need to be there from the beginning so that they can help defend it when they're helping you to design this. Yeah. Okay. All right. Avani, any other things that we can reach for you? Um, I mean, I think we mentioned some of this earlier in talking about some of the types of features that can be used to make things more accessible, but developers should also look at using toolkits and features that are enabled by the console, the browser, the mobile operating system. Check the APIs for these products, right? A lot of these providers have done a lot of work to sort of build in at the core level options to allow certain features to be more accessible. So the key way to get to that is the product needs to be designed to access those features. So just having that in the operating system will not be enough if the product itself is not designed in a way that works with those features. So it's important to understand the accessibility APIs that are offered in some of the more modern video game consoles, but also in the mobile phones like Android and iOS. And using them. That's the important thing, right? It's it's hard, Josh, you were saying right. it's case by case, right? After the fact, it's really hard to explain why you did not incorporate something like that real-time text. It's there. Right. So how hard could it be to do it? So you should use it. Right. And then lastly, you know, we talk about reaching out to the disabled communities and doing focus groups and things like that. But there's also interacting with the other industry members and figuring out what technologies are out there. And Steve, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the types of you know, ways about going about doing that. Yeah. And that seems more common. You know, I'll go to GDC now and there are sessions. There's not quite a, a separate track on this yet, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we get there soon. The Casual Games Association, Casual Connect has various sessions on that. And that's a chance where you can connect to people both in your industry who are doing this and then in the advocacy community so you can understand what types of capabilities they want to see in the games. Yeah. I also mentioned there's a M enabling conference that talks about all things disabilities access. So, you know, not just gaming, of course, but it would be other technologies. They have exhibitors that will show technologies and things like that available. That's coming up in June and here near D.C. Yeah. Right. And I would just piggyback on what Steve said about talking to the community and understanding what they want to see. I think a component of all of this is that video game providers should look at this as a potential opportunity. While there are obligations to be met and different changes that have to be made, the records show that there are millions of consumers with disabilities and various types of disabilities that are actively looking for products that they can use. And this is a market opportunity to expand the scope of the products to a broader range of users. And you often see that when certain features are adopted with the intent to make it accessible to people with disabilities, you have other consumers who end up using and liking that feature, even though they don't have a disability, but they still find the feature useful. So customization features and other options often serve a benefit not beyond just meeting the needs of consumers with disabilities. Well, the other interesting thing, right, we all want that viral discussion of our games and everything, right? And and you get that within that community that you've targeted. They become advocates for you and say, this game is awesome because it has this. Right. So that's, it's been a very interesting discussion. I think that sort of 
touches really kind of the tip of the iceberg. We hope that it gives some sense for people as to what their obligations are. We hope that we've alerted people who are not aware of this before that they do have these obligations in time that when they can do something about it. So we hope that it's been helpful for you on that. This waiver is going to expire at the end of this year, as we talked about. So this issue is going to become more of the, you know, move from that theoretical point to the very practical point. There is a lot of uncertainty about this. That's certainly true. And at least in the short term on that, we'll start to get more guidance. We'll start to see more as the games are introduced. It'll be interesting to see what's announced at CES at the beginning of next year or what's announced at other conferences as we get more towards the 2019 timeframe. So I really encourage people to, to keep track with us. We intend to continue to follow this. Avani and Josh, I want to thank you both for doing this. I think this is an interesting area and those gamers out there and game developers out there, you know, we're certainly here to help you and interested in hearing your questions and concerns. And so with that, let me just say thank you everybody for listening and we will catch up with you again. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff or management.